So let's say a prayer and then we'll really jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we are just grateful that we can call you Father. And uh, that's a privilege, it's an honor, and it's a blessing. I pray that every mother in this room can feel uh, encouraged by the sermon and inspired to, to follow you and that, that the children can really love up on their mothers today. Uh, Lord, just thank you that we're all children of someone and that you gifted us with our parents. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you're our parent. We pray that this message can be uh, useful in reminding us about that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So most of you know that we're going through the book of Deuteronomy now. Well, maybe you don't know because we're starting today. Uh, we're going through Deuteronomy. We were previously doing uh, Numbers and Exodus. And so we're going through the whole Old Testament. And our goal is that we can know God and truly know who He is and what He's like. And then that can transform our character. And so I was reading through Deuteronomy, and I just stumbled on a passage, and I thought, man, that sounds really awesome to talk about, so we're going to do it. Um, we're going to talk about God as our Father. So if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, chapter 1, verse 29. We're going to look at God as our Father in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to look at what that has to do with Jesus and how Jesus related to God as his father. And then we're going to talk about what that has to do with us. Um, and some of that will be mixed in as we go. Um, but God is the perfect father. This is what the scriptures teach us. His love and care for us should inspire us to trust and obey him. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29. Actually, we'll start in verse... 26, and then the, the PowerPoint will pick up in 29. Okay, so just to set the scene a little bit. It says, Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents, and said, Because the Lord hated us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. So we'll just stop right there. So what's going on is that Moses is actually preaching to the Israelites. And he's telling them what they already knew, because they were there, of what happened in the past. And so the Israelites, right, we saw in the book of Exodus, they had been enslaved in Egypt, and God rescued them. And he said, I'm going to give you the promised land, which is, you know, Canaan. And the Israelites sent out scouts to go see what Canaan was like. And uh, it's kind of like going to my hometown. Everybody was really huge, <laughs> right? It was like my brothers and a bunch, you know, six foot eight, just towering people with these huge walls, and they're standing on the top, and they're, they're buff, you know, not like me, but bigger, and just massive, strong guys. And they're like, we can't take this land from them. They're too big. They're too strong. And so they've forgotten that God already rescued them from a much stronger nation, Egypt, who the Canaanites were afraid of, right? And so they're just terrified of these people. And so they refuse to go up. Matter of fact, they even say, it's because God hates us that he asked us to do this. Right? So now they're making this about God's character. Oh, he's given us a problem too big for us because he wants us to suffer and die. Right? So that's how they're viewing God. Um, and so they disobey him. And, and this is how he responds. This is how Moses responds. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord God carried you as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. You know, when I was younger, I grew up in uh, Champlain Park, partly, and also in Delano, Minnesota. 
and they're both just outside of, of Minneapolis, but one was a suburb and one was more rural. But I grew up in this really nice little house in Champlain Park up until about fourth grade, and we had the woods behind our house, and there was like this huge rock, and we would smash other rocks on the big rock to make crystals, and we would use it as like money. Um, you know, I had three brothers, so it was just a lot of mayhem. Uh, we destroyed the neighbor's squirrel traps because we thought it was an injustice that he was killing the squirrels. Uh, we got in trouble for that. Uh, we destroyed his fence to use it to make a teepee. And so we were totally out of control, and this, this was an elderly gentleman. He was very patient with us, but we still got disciplined for that behavior. So we, so we had these woods behind our house, and behind that was a baseball field, and we just did all sorts of fun stuff out there. I used to think that I was like as fast as a deer because I would run through the woods and like thought I was so fast. Turns out I could barely move, but, <laughs> but that's what I thought, right? So I had all this fun with my brothers in the back of the woods and one of our favorite pastimes, there was these weeds. I'm not sure what they are. They grew like this tall and we felt like it was our kingdom so they were invading. So we would take hockey sticks and just, just you know, thresh the floor and just get rid of them. Um, but we were doing that one time. So it was me and my friends and all the neighbors and we're out there and we're just threshing the floor, whatever you call it. We're just getting rid of these weeds, and this possum just jumps out, attacks, <laughs> attacks my buddy Jeff. And Jeff is like tiny, you know, and he's freaking out. We're all in like first grade. And, then, and we're freaking out, but we're not that scared. We're kind of like having fun, but we're a little bit scared. But then it gets scarier and scarier because nothing's happening. Like he's terrifying this little freaking, this freaky little rat. And it's just trying to eat us, right? It's like, I think it maybe had rabies. I don't know what's going on. And so my dad comes ripping out of the house. And my dad was a hockey player, okay, he's six foot six, he's like 300 pounds, and he used to play, he got drafted in the NHL, so he's like an athlete. He comes ripping out of the house with a hockey stick and just executes it, wham! <laughs> just right on his head, kills it, and I was like, that's my dad. <laughs> like, I just thought he just slew the dragon, like the most dangerous creature on earth. And <laughs> it was an opossum, like it was so harmless. But I thought it was this big monster. And I never forgot that. And I don't even know how my dad found out what was happening. Because we're in the woods. It's kind of hidden from sight. And he must have been listening or something. But he just ran out there and murdered that thing. <laughs> and I was, like, so proud, you know? And you know that thing you do as a kid, like, hey, my dad could beat up your dad. Like, honestly, that was true in the case of my dad. <laughs> and I always thought that meant something. I don't know. Like, hey, come at me, man. My dad will beat your dad up. It's like, yeah, but you're going to get beat up. <laughs> And so we had this, like, bravado, right? Like, our dad's huge. He's a monster. You know, we go to his hockey games, like, he's going to score 20 goals. And sometimes he did. But, you know, we just were so proud of our dad, and we still are. You know, my dad was a gentleman, really humble. He is a gentleman. He's very humble. He's hardworking. And when I'm thinking about, okay, who, what's the type of man I want to be, I often go back to those types of memories. And I think about my dad. You know, and I face these difficult situations. And as a kid, especially, knowing that your dad had your back, you felt totally confident. Like, it's not a big deal. It's just a possum. My dad will just smoke him in the head with a stick. <laughs> so I feel good. You know, and now sometimes we face problems that to us are huge, but to God they're like a little possum. You know, he could crush any of our problems. But we get so anxious, right? We get so fearful. And so that's why Moses says this. Don't you remember that he took care of that possum? That big monster that you thought was so big, God destroyed them for what they were doing to you. And that's because of God's love. You know, it says numerous times in Deuteronomy, God didn't choose you because you were the best people around or so great. It's because you're his children and he loves you. Right? My dad wasn't going to defend us if we were just behaving. He would defend us even when we were smashing the neighbor's squirrel traps, right? 
Um, so that's the first thing we learn about God from the book of Deuteronomy, that fathers show up for their children. And some of us don't have fathers who did that. Right? Some of us don't have that sort of memory. Some of us didn't have fathers at all or mothers. Um, but we can still take heart because the Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. And so even though our earthly fathers all have sins, right? I mean, my dad has sinned. I've had to rebuke my dad, and he humbly repented. Yet at the same time, you know, it's God the Father doesn't act that way. He never sins. He always does what's right. And so we can have total trust in him, even if, you know, the father that we had growing up as a physical father was imperfect, which they all are. And the beautiful thing is when they're imperfect, sometimes it just gives them opportunity to repent and show you how to do that because you're imperfect too. You know, like I remember my dad, he, he said a word he shouldn't have. And I said, Dad, what was that about? And he's like, I'm sorry, son. I shouldn't have said that. And he never does that. But I felt so encouraged to repent in my own life because my dad was willing to do that. And so even through imperfect fathers and mothers, God works powerfully to help us learn lessons about our own character. Right? So the Israelites are unfaithful. And this is a theme all over the scriptures. You guys remember the golden calf, right? They're just totally not committed to their father. And because of the golden calf and some other forms of unfaithfulness, especially the refusal to go into the promised land, God says, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. Right? So God was disciplining them. Okay, look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. It says, so again, this Deuteronomy is, is Moses encouraging the people to actually trust God and follow him. And it's just a series of sermons a reiteration of the law. And so in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So Moses reminds them of the last 40 years and what has been happening. And he says, this is, the, this is like the Lord or a man disciplining his son. That's what the Lord is doing for you. You know, I didn't always do what was right growing up. Uh, I had some serious issues. I love to destroy other people's property, apparently, because not only did we destroy the squirrel traps, another time we took some BB guns and decided to shoot the lights out of the neighbor's little lanterns. And, uh, <laughs> which was, I was in charge, too. They said, hey, you make sure your brothers don't do anything stupid. And uh, I failed at my charge. My youngest brother shot the lantern, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? And then my other brother, my other younger brother, was like, hey, I can do it too. And he shot another lantern. And I was like, come on, man. And they were like, dude, you can't do it. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> so we destroyed all the lights. And, you know, I got disciplined. Um, you know, I mean, it wasn't fun for me. I made a very poor choice. And at the time... I tended to resent my father's discipline, right? You know, I mean, like, like, oh, it's just so harsh. How could you do this to me? And now looking back, I'm like, man, I'm so glad he did that. 
because it showed his love for me. Um, you know, if he had just let me go on vandalizing people's property, I'd be in jail. You know, you don't get away with that when you're 25, okay? Maybe when you're eight, but not when you're 25. Like, yeah, see you, dude, you can go to jail. <laughs> and so my dad disciplined me to keep me from making very poor decisions. Um, you know, I remember, too, my mom would discipline me. But to be honest, like, I wasn't quite as afraid of my mom because some, I eventually was bigger than her, and it's like, whatever. And so, but, but she would be like, I'm going to spank you, and I'm like, oh, yeah, come at me, Mom. Like, what you going to do? And she's like, I'm going to tell your dad. I'm like, oh, no. And I would start wailing, and I would just submit. Like, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> my dad, he has hands the size of a dinner plate. I mean, he's terrifying. <laughs> and so, you know, but my mom knew. That's for the authority. If these boys aren't submitting, I'll tell them about their dad. There's authority. And I should have submitted to my mom. But I'm glad that my mom disappointed me, too. And she wasn't afraid to say, hey, Dad, come here. These boys are ridiculous, right? And so I'm so grateful for that stuff. But we can tend to view it in a different light. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. So here's where it's beautiful how the New Testament builds so much on the Old Testament. And if you, if you ever study the book of Hebrews, you'll find that it's full of quotations from the Old Testament, especially the book of Numbers, which a lot of people tend, you know, I have a tendency to neglect. It's called Numbers. It sounds so boring. Um, but it's not about numbers. Um, but in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, I'll start there. Actually, no, no, I'll start in verse, verse 5. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, I had a tendency when I was disciplined to think that it meant my father hated me. And I would sometimes respond in kind. You know, I once told my father that I actually hate him. A horrible thing to say. And it was because I think he was disciplining me. And I was so hurt, like, oh, how dare you do this? And now I look back, I'm like, man, if my father hadn't disciplined me, where would I be? I would not be where I am. I would not be up here. I know that much. And it says that, that the Lord disciplines everyone whom he receives as sons. And if you're not being disciplined by the Lord, if you haven't been, you are an illegitimate child. You're not his son. You're not his daughter. You know, sometimes we view hardship as a sign that God is mad at us, that he disapproves of us. But the book of Hebrews, he's saying quite the opposite. It's a sign that you're God's child. You know, we can tend to hear like these types of, this type of preaching in our, in our culture that is like, hey, if you're blessed with money or with the smooth sailing, that means that God is blessing you. And I'm not saying God never does that. But the point is that discipline and hardship are actually for our good, to make us more holy. 
Now, I think about the times when God has disciplined me, and I sometimes resented it, right, just like I did with my earthly father. Um, you know, why, why are you putting me through this? I want to do what's right, but I'm struggling, and, and now I'm having these, these types of hardships. How could you do this when I'm, you know, and God's like, because I want you to be more holy, and this will help you. And I, and I wouldn't hear that voice, you know. I would just hear my own voice all the time, like, oh, this is, this is bad. This means God's upset with me. Say, no, God loves you, and so he disciplines you. Yeah. You know, if we respect our earthly fathers for disciplining us, how much more our Father in heaven? Right, so this is the picture that we get from Deuteronomy. But the Old Testament really doesn't talk about God as Father very much, only 13 times. And Jesus talked about it over 150 times. So Jesus took this theme of the Old Testament. He said, I'm going to make this real. I want you to understand how important this is, so I'm going to talk about it all the time. And if you think about it, Jesus probably talked about it more than 150 times since we only have a certain snapshot of what he did. So he was constantly talking about God as his father and as our father. And so I want to look at how did Jesus relate to his father? Because we know that our fathers, right, they love us, they, they show up for us. And God the Father always shows up for us, and he disciplines us. But how did Jesus respond as God's son? And what does that mean for us? Okay, so turn to John chapter 5. Um, and if you, if you really want to know about this theme in the scriptures, um, you know, you can look at the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. You can also uh, focus in on the book of John, because Jesus is constantly talking about God as his father in the book of John. In John chapter 5, verse 18, so, the, so Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, right, on a Saturday, and the, by Jewish law, you're not supposed to do works on a Saturday, and so the Jews are, are not happy about this. And in verse 18, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So it wasn't just that Jesus broke the Sabbath that they opposed him, the Jews, but rather that he called God his Father. And even though the Old Testament speaks about God this way, they, for some reason they took offense at this. They found it offensive because it made himself equal with God. So there was even a special way that, God, that Jesus was calling God his Father. You know, it wasn't in the exact same way as the Old Testament, but actually heightened and intensified in a way that is totally unique, but that we get to share in. Okay, so verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. All right, so I think many of us have been there, right? Your dad is mowing the lawn, so you get your toy lawnmower and you follow him around. You know, I mean, you're just like, you want to be like your dad. You know, my dad, great hockey player, and so for years I wanted to be a good hockey player. But then I was so discouraged, I thought, I'm no good. Turns out I was playing up. So, so I quit hockey to play basketball because I thought I wasn't good. And it turns out I was playing a great up, so I was actually quite good. <laughs> and my dad was like, yeah, you weren't bad at all. I was like, oh, that stinks because I could have kept playing hockey and be like you. You know, but I also had my uncle who played basketball and my grandpa played basketball. So there was family pedigree there. But it's just funny how we just want to be like our dads, right? Even sometimes when our dads do what's wrong, there's a part of us that's like, man, I wish you would do what's right so I could imitate you. And, um, you know, my dad, it's just funny, like he was, he was just an athlete and he was a hard worker. And, and when I'm struggling with what to do, I think, well, what would my dad do? And I do that. And this is what Jesus is saying. Whatever the Father does, I do the same thing. I imitate my Heavenly Father no matter what. 
So Jesus has a really unique relationship. Who among us can say that we're like that? Honestly, I can't. I try to be, but I can't say that I actually do everything that the Father would do. Right? And so this is the beauty of Jesus. Um, verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus says, my father has also given me his authority to raise the dead, to judge people for their, their deeds, right? And so there's this closeness where the father and the son are so identified, they actually perform the same functions in the world, right? When, like if my dad was selling his house, it might look like me, I'm actually the executor and I actually make it happen. And that's sort of what's going on with Jesus and the father here. But you see how close they are. So close that it's honestly hard to even describe with words how close Jesus is to the Father. He says again, I can do nothing on my own. Verse 30, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, Jesus didn't even want to do what his flesh wanted him to do, only what the Father wanted. And so I want to talk, okay, just give you a few sort of snapshots of what this, what this looks like. The, the whole point of that passage was just that Jesus has something unique with his Father. Okay, but how did he get that? And, and what... What was going on in his mindset that created that? Uh, first of all, in John chapter 8, verse 16, John 16, 32, there's numerous places Jesus was constantly listening to his Father's voice. You know, there's a lot of voices in our world clamoring for our attention, right? There's the TVs, there's other people, and they, and they want our attention. And it says in Colossians chapter 4 that you should pray unceasingly. And so the Bible is only asking us to do what Jesus was already doing praying unceasingly to his Father and listening to his voice. But I don't know about you guys, sometimes, right, so I have this special time to pray every day, and sometimes it just doesn't go well, right? You just feel like, wow, I did not connect with the Father through that time of prayer. And you can get so frazzled, I know I can, all the time, where I end up just sinning later in the day because I'm like, well, I blew it earlier. And it's like, is that really how God sees the situation? And is that how Jesus would respond, Right? When Jesus would go to get time to pray and people were interrupting him, was he like, well, my day's ruined. I guess I'll just go sin. No, the exact opposite, right? Jesus said, okay, well, my father's still here and I can still hear his voice. And so that isn't to say don't have special times to pray, but it's to say always be praying and don't be rattled when it's not going the way you want. Um, Jesus also set aside special time to be with his father. You know, Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 and 23. You see in the book of John, the crowds are, or maybe it's Luke, they're, they're coming to get him because they want help. And Jesus is like, sorry, I got to go pray. <laughs> like I don't, Jesus said no to people in order to get this special time with God. You know, we all have a lot of demands on our time, 
a lot of things that people are saying, I need this right now. And sometimes you've got to be able to discern, do you need it right now or do I need to go pray? You know, if Jesus had said, okay, I guess I'll cave to the people, he wouldn't have been doing the Father's will in that moment. And so sometimes we have to set aside that time and we have to say, it doesn't really matter what's going on. This is what I have to do right now. You know, and it doesn't mean nothing ever changes because someone has an emergency. There are real emergencies out there that need to be addressed. But Jesus was saying no to sick people being healed because he had to be with his Father. So we want to imitate that example, right? And Jesus, I don't know why he did this. I mean, it doesn't exactly say, but here's my thought. Jesus wanted to do it. He loved getting special time with his father, just like I love it when my dad's like, hey, son, let's go, let's go on a ride and get some Dairy Queen, which he loves doing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he even has code words so that my mom won't hear because she's like, you know, doesn't want him to eat Dairy Queen every day. And he's like, he's like looking at us like, let's go. <laughs> like, All right, dad, let's go. <laughs> Sneak away, right? And so he, he wants to get that special time with us. And sometimes I think that's the main reason why he wants to do that. He likes it. And so I like it, too. I enjoy it. You know, my dad loves to take, we'd go on rides just in the fall, and we'd, we'd turn on the heat as high as possible and then roll down the windows. So, I don't know, it's what he loves. And I think, I love it too, as a result. And so we'd go do that together. It was a special time, right? And so I wanted to do it. But I also needed to do it, right? If I wasn't connecting with my father, even my earthly father, the way that I had, I think a lot of my confidence and stability would be harder to find. Um, but thankfully, our spiritual father is always there for us, so that we can always go to him for confidence and stability, um, so Jesus set aside this time to be with his father, and he also understood that if he didn't do that, he wouldn't be able to serve others the way that he was called to. And so he needed to be filled up so that he could fill up others and help others, right? Um, so Jesus did all this. He watched his father, right, as we already said, and loved to imitate him. He, just, he was just constantly watching. What is the father doing? And, and you know, it's, it's harder than with your earthly father because you can't see our father in heaven, right? He's invisible, but we can watch him and what he's doing, especially through Jesus. The Bible describes Jesus as the oldest son, right? And so I used to imitate my oldest brother, too, Cole. You know, he's six foot eight. He can dunk at will. It's awesome. This guy's, you know, and so I imitate him. I'm like, man, I, I wish I was so skinny I could dunk at will. But I can't. But I wish I could be. And so Jesus is the oldest father or oldest son over the house. And so we imitate him as he imitates the father because we have so much about Jesus in the scriptures, right? So we have these ways of imitating our father. And we have to pay attention to them, because otherwise we won't know what to do. Um, Jesus wanted what his father wanted. Right? He said, I, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. Our wills are always contrary to God's in some way. Right? We have this flesh that's constantly demanding that we do what we want to do. And the world tells us, well, that's how you be happy. Do whatever you want to do all the time. And I tell you what, there's been a few moments in my life where I've been able to do whatever I wanted. You know, maybe I had the money necessary and the time, and I was on vacation, and it wasn't really that great. <laughs> it's like, oh, that, wow, that was a bad choice. Wish I hadn't lived that way. And so God is saying, hey, listen, follow me. Will what I will, because that's how you have fullness of joy in life. Yeah. And the resurrection, right? So it's a beautiful, beautiful promise. Um, Jesus always obeyed his Father, always, even at the cross. Right, Jesus, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus was not afraid of suffering in following obedience. You know, the Bible talks about suffering as a Christian. And I think sometimes we can kind of like misunderstand what that means. That doesn't just mean something bad happened and you feel bad and you happen to be a Christian. It means you're suffering because you chose to obey God. And sometimes we can treat that like, 
ooh, oh, I don't know. I, I think that's not the path because it's hard. But it's quite the opposite of how Jesus approached it. If this is what the Father willed, no matter how hard it is, that's the path. And so he always obeyed. And I love this one. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. I love this one because it just gives an image of the childlikeness that Jesus had. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Seven through twelve. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Right, Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you because your Father is so good. Right? When I would go to my dad, hey, I want Dairy Queen. He's not like, well, here's a snake, son. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> he's like, well, yeah, let's go get Dairy Queen. Or he's like, no, sorry, no Dairy Queen. Usually it's yes. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, God, our fathers know how to give good gifts. How much more our Heavenly Father who is perfect knowing how to give good gifts. And Jesus had a child. Like, this wasn't just coming out of nowhere. This was coming out of Jesus' own walk with God. When I ask, it's given to me because I trust with childlike simplicity that God will give me what I need. I remember one time I was really wrestling with some sin and the suffering that was resulting because of my sin, and I wanted to repent, and I just couldn't seem to do it. I just couldn't do it. And so I was driving home from Duluth, actually, to Minneapolis, and it was a two-and-a-half-hour drive, and I started praying. And I remembered this passage, and I was like, all right, I just really need to trust. And it says to knock. So I started pounding on my dashboard, like, <laughs> and I was, I was really loud and obnoxious. I mean, if anyone else had been there, I was alone. But I was literally doing what Jesus said because I felt like, man, I just need to trust with childlike faith that what Jesus said is true, that the Father will give me a good gift. And I remember coming out of that car ride totally relieved and totally able to go forward and repent and confess my sins. And so transformative, right? Just one time in prayer with childlike simplicity changed my whole life. And uh, usually I don't pray with childlike simplicity, right? I pray, I pray with sophistication, with eloquence, with, uh, you know, cleverness or whatever, because I, I, I am insecure. And so I want God to like my prayers. And so I need them to be a certain way. And that's really not what the scriptures teach. What's at the heart is childlike simplicity. Yeah. And so this is the type of you know, trust that Jesus had. You know, imagine how safe you feel, right, when your father was with you, when he was really with you and present. How much more safe we should feel when our heavenly father is present. And that's what Jesus, the type of trust that he had and that he calls us to have too. Right, so the New Testament really nails home this, this teaching about God as our father. That's why the Lord's Prayer, our father who art in heaven, right? Jesus starts that way for a reason. He wants us to remember that. And so I want to encourage you guys to do three things. Okay. Number one, reinforce your trust in God as your Father. Uh, don't let your doubts keep you from praying to Him or from seeking Him out. Uh, number two, renew your commitment to holiness. God, as our Father, has called us to holiness, not because He's harsh and wants to take away our fun, but for our joy. And my Father didn't lay down His rules, don't run in the street, because He hated me. It's because He loved me, wanted to protect me. Um, and reforge your character. Right? God forges us into new people, and if we 
resist that, right? Like I resisted my father's discipline. It just leads to more suffering. But if you allow yourself to be changed, transformed, you can have so much more joy in the presence of the Father. So I want to take some time to connect this idea to the cross um, before we take communion. So in Romans chapter 5, it says this in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And the scriptures teach us that we have a right to call God our father because we were born of his will the sacrifice of his son. You can go back to John chapter 1, Romans chapter 5. All of us who have committed ourselves to follow Jesus have been baptized. We have the right to call God our Father and to draw near to him despite our sins. And that's what Jesus' blood at the cross purchased for us. So as we take communion, pray about that and reflect on that and really trust that God is your Father. And if you're not following God, if if you're unsure about that, there's probably a reason. Ask someone to help you understand where it is that you're at in relation to the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we're just so grateful, so grateful that you have given us the right through Jesus to call you our Father. Uh, I ask that you would help us to really uh, trust and revere you during this communion um, and just really uh, take heart knowing that The blood of Jesus has forgiven us all our sins so that we can draw near to you as you draw near to us. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.